Hello and welcome. Hello. It's sweet, sweet death. I'm Heather. And I'm Laura. We're back. And we're alive. <laughs> we haven't died. Man, uh, I don't, we literally couldn't remember the last time we recorded. I know. I was looking actually, I think it was yesterday and I was like, oh my gosh, September 12th. Oh which shit. We probably even recorded a few days before that. So I was like, yeah, wow, it's let's, been. <laughs> let's be real. I think we recorded probably like a week before yeah. that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, basically end of October. <laughs> well, we were joking because you told me your story. I was like, oh, shit, were we supposed to do like a Halloween episode yeah. <laughs> or something? And like, yeah, we skipped all the holidays. Yeah. Um, I'm shocked we got here before Christmas. I know. But at least we're here and well, yeah. Yeah, just doing our best. We were talking about having existential adult life crises <laughs> for the last yeah. few months and... I fucked up my laptop. I destroyed it by dumping a whole bunch of water into the USB port. Oh my gosh. Not on purpose. Yeah. I have this awesome like water bottle. I really I know. like it. I actually was just looking at it. Yeah. Did, did it come with that giraffe on it or did no, you put no, that this sticker? Is a, oh. This is that guy. Um, yeah. He, the giraffe I know, thing that I know. I love that. Yes. It's, he goes, his name is I walk on jello. Oh. So you can find him on Instagram. <laughs> He's always in like little places all around oh. town. So I got this with the black sheep, his stickers. Cute. Like he was at that um, Doherty high school sale, like oh. just a week and a half ago, whatever, like about a week ago. Um, huh. And I missed it. I'm really sad about Aww. it. It was like a holiday thing. Yeah. But yeah, he has really good shit, man. He has awesome stickers. They're huge, and I think they're like only a few bucks each. Hmm. Yeah, I, have to I look them up. Yeah, because I always love that giraffe, and yeah, I feel like I have to burp. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fuck. We've been gone for three months. I got nothing to talk about. I know. Shit. I feel like we were no. just talking a lot. Yeah, as well before. we did. We like <laughs> fucking chatted up a storm for yeah. an hour. Well, because we hadn't seen each other. Yeah. We have a kitten. Yes. Her name's Tia Beanie. I found out Heather's dog that died a year ago yes. died. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, because we adopted this kitten because Mooch has been dead forever. And you're like, what? <laughs> I swear to God, we put him down right. like last November or something or October. It was an alternate universe. And or then something. Robbie was like, no, we put him down in February. And you're like, no, he's been alive this whole time. <laughs> um, I th- and then I was like, I don't know. Well, he's not here anymore. Yeah. So we got a kitten. Well, because I don't plan on getting a dog anytime yeah. too soon. Dogs are a pain in the ass. Like, yeah. Even, like, having to take them out every, you know, 30 minutes if they're a puppy or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And Mooch was pretty low maintenance. We have a backyard, so he got to just go to the bathroom there, you know. Uh, But I would try to walk him as much as I could. My my ankle was really bad when we had him. I I felt so bad. We did not walk that dog like we should have. He was um, hard to walk, though. Even that one time I (laughs) walked him for you, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was afraid he was going to run away because he's so big. It's strong, and he did have those, like, that pronged yeah. choke. Like, he had to, because he was so stupid, he would just choke himself <laughs> yeah. to death. Like, like if you didn't put it on, it would be like, <sighs> like, the whole fucking yeah. walk. So, yeah, luckily he's, well, not luckily he's dead. <laughs> luckily he's dead, so fuck it. <laughs> no, very sweet dog, big yeah. and very stupid. Um, Yeah, anyway. Um, just trying to think of anything. I feel like there was something I wanted to tell you, but we wasted it all. Yeah. Just fucking chit chatting before. Oh, um, um, I did sign up for, <laughs> I feel like literally a dumbass. So I've been wanting to fix my one front tooth. That's just like slightly crooked, you mm-hmm. know, 
And I had done like the smile direct club thing where you get the impressions and like, oh, they'll give you the um, things to move. And since I had already had braces before and they pulled teeth and stuff for my teeth to move, I was like, oh, maybe it'll be fine if I just do it. It's just like one tooth I want to change. Yeah. And so finally, like a month ago on the 18th of November, I was like, fuck it. I'll just pay the deposit and get my aligners. Mm -hmm. I got them in the mail on Tuesday. And I put in the bottom one, and I was like, it doesn't fit, because they're supposed to move this tooth, too. So then I go onto the website to be like, oh, my retainer doesn't fit. And you're supposed to have, like, 30-day money-back guarantee, which I'm paying, like, two grand for this or whatever. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. And um, if anything, like, doesn't work, like, oh, one of my aligners doesn't fit, this and that. Like, you're supposed to have, like, checkups with the doctor and blah, 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 whatever. So... I go and like the website is like, oh, like your account can't be found and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then I look in the news and they literally filed for bankruptcy and shut down. Shut the fuck yeah. up, dude. And they literally were sending people emails to sign up and shit like up to the day they fucking shut down. And so now I owe this imaginary company like two, almost three grand. No. They gave it to like a third party, but in the contract, it doesn't even, it just says that they're, they just take um like payments literally people are so pissed like online if you look anything up people are like freaking the fuck out like i don't even have anyone like they're supposed to send you like a retainer at the end when you like get your teeth fixed and everything to like hold your teeth in place they're not going to do that anymore they had like oh "Oh, lifetime guarantee yeah so it's all just like i was like wow what if i look that like literally like the month i decided to do it i'm like oh and then this is it they shut down (laughs) so yeah i'm Uh, fucked i'm so fucking sorry i don't know what i'm gonna do about it hopefully i don't know hopefully i can get a refund or something yeah for sure yeah i'll send you all this shit back yeah i'm like i don't care just yeah, because now it's like, what if something goes wrong? I'm just, yeah. And then it's like, oh, I'll end up having to pay for a fucking orthodontist anyway. So. Yeah. So then you get a, that plus an extra two grand. Yeah. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Oh. Also, I think I forgot to tell you this. So, because uh, I think the last time I saw you, I was going to tell you, and then I was just, like, afraid to. Oh. But, um, so I had scheduled to get a nose job because mm-hmm. I hate my nose. Okay. And I had got approved for a care credit for like 10 grand or whatever and then I was going to save the rest because it was like 15,000 mm-hmm. total I think and it was like this doctor in LA because I just didn't really like any of the doctors here yeah and um I was supposed to go December 6th and then like I don't know I just started getting so much anxiety like reading like about people like disassociating yeah. like after and like not recognizing oh, no. themselves and then I was like maybe I should just wait like I feel like I'm rushing into this you know so I called to cancel and they were like the lady was like oh no you can't cancel like we've already talked to these and this was like over a month before the what surgery the like i called her like the beginning of november they can't force you into getting i a know fucking surgery. i was you like uh, i literally was having so much anxiety i was like uh <laughs> i was like no i was like i'm having anxiety like i don't want to get the surgery anymore and she's like what's the real reason what's the real reason well just a few days before this as well i found out the doctor i was going to be going to lost his medical license it was very hard to <gasps> find for briefly he got it back but he was involved in like the lap band scheme with his brother where they were like uh i don't know if you ever heard about no, it but it was like I'd this, like to know more yeah it was like this whole scheme where basically people who are getting lap band surgery um they would get them diagnosed with sleep apnea as well so that the insurance would have to pay something just basically so they could get a shit ton of money from insurance for i don't know how it worked you don't have to look it up exactly yeah, yeah. but his brother went to prison for it and then he had lost his license for doing the same thing to like one patient who reported him or something but i'm sure he did it 
a lot more so then I just felt really weird too like oh I don't want to have like someone who like has bad ethics like Mm -hmm. performing surgery on me so I was just like I'm canceling I'm having anxiety like I just feel like it's my gut was telling me to then she's like you can't cancel like you already we already talked to the OR doctors and this and that and blah 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 I'm like okay well my contract it says that I can cancel that you know there's the cancellation fee but that's it which was a thousand dollars but um I was like, I'll pay the cancellation fee. I was like, I don't care, but it says that I can cancel. So yeah. that's what I want to do. She's like, I don't know. I'll just have to call you back and tell you what, what we can do. What the fuck? And then she called me back. And she's like, what's the real reason? What's the real reason you're canceling? And I kept saying that because I felt like she knew that like I had found that he lost his license. And then yeah. I was like, uh, and I don't want to say that. But I was like, I'm just having anxiety. I would like to cancel. I want my refund. Yeah. She's like, I don't think the office can refund you. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm like, no, you can. I'm yeah. like, I already contacted Care Credit. She's like, I'm the only person you can contact about this. I'm like, no. Ew. Like, I was like, the company who lent me the money said that it can be refunded, so you can refund it. Yeah. She's just being a bitch. She's like, I don't know, Laura. Like, she's like, is it that you can't afford to come here? Do you what the fuck? Yeah. Do you feel comfortable saying this doctor's name? Or yeah. Like, okay. His name was Michael Omidy, which I wanted to actually leave a bad review about this whole yeah. experience, but then I was afraid to like. I don't think you should be afraid. Dude, uh, she's trying really? to fucking bully people yeah. into surgery that they don't want. That's what I said. I literally told her on the phone. I was like, I feel like I'm being bullied into having a surgery that I don't want to get. Like, yeah. I'm literally scared. She's like, you'll just be a better version of yourself and this what and that. The and fuck? Was, what does she know about know. you? At I know I was like uh she's like what can you not afford to come to California which I had already booked my Airbnb and my flight and I was like no I was like I already booked my flight I already booked my thing which I didn't even understand why I was arguing with this lady for like 10 fucking minutes on the phone like each time I was like no I was like I just want a refund please she was like I'll have to talk to the doctor and let you know she calls Mm. me back like five minutes later she's like so we've decided that you don't have to pay your remaining balance which was like five grand she's like if you just get the surgery you can save it for yourself and you're good like you don't have to pay anything else so you can just think about it and let us know your decision tomorrow and I was like no I've thought about it (laughs) I'm not getting the surgery please refund me because I had already paid like the 10 grand or whatever and um so then at this point I was like okay I was like thank you for your time and I hung up and then I called my dad immediately and I was like uh because you know my dad is like master scheme manipulator very listen he knows how to get the money (laughs) so I had him call and he immediately just like I think he talked to her for like five minutes or something like that in Spanish because I was on three-way call Mm -hmm. and uh yeah they hung up and he's like okay they're refunding you (laughs) (laughs) i was like thank god i'm just like too much of like a nervous wreck that's just it it's like people like her recognize people like us when we start to back down a little bit like when we are a little hesitant and they like feed off of that she's a fucking psychopath i know and i was just like oh my god but yeah thankfully canceled the surgery yeah (laughs) got my refund uh, I still had to pay a thousand dollars, which I'm so sorry. Up Plus this teeth thing. Oh I my know. God. I know. I literally was thinking about that. And I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> I was like, wow. I've literally lost like three oh, grand in shit. short amount of time. Yep. But yeah. So that was my. Well, like, 2023 <laughs> was not our year, yeah. Laura. <laughs> Probably uh, not next year either. Yeah. Maybe. No. Maybe. Maybe I win the lottery finally, and and we just. Well, I don't know why I'm throwing myself into this. I'm going to attach myself to you if you win the lottery. <laughs> yes. Um, and you can feel free to do the same. Uh, yeah, we will disappear. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, shit. Well, all right. We're going to go. Uh, I will throw out, again, I don't really know how audio works, so we're just guessing and having people tell us what works best. Not not you fine folk, because we don't have anything up on social media for you to respond to us about. But uh, for the people that we know in our lives, yes, they are going to tell us if this is shit or not. So, you know, bear with us. Okay. All right, well, I'm going to go first. Um, So as far as we know... The last thing we were doing was uh, West Virginia. Yes. So I did the coal mines, and then I just realized when my computer restarted, all my shit shut, so I have to fucking bring Uh-oh. it back up again. Right. But, so I tried to look up facts about, like, West Virginia coal mining, stuff like that. Um, the The biggest number that shocked me was, I think they said, since about 1880, when they started recording deaths, it was, like, around... I think they said like 21,000 people have died in West Virginia coal mines. But that's like, you know, a hundred plus years. Yeah. I literally looked at, I don't know what I was looking at (laughs) to do math. Nothing. (laughs) And it wasn't even hard math. It was a hundred years. Okay. So here we go. And bear with me. I, this was done quickly. Also, I had started before like the debacle of us not meeting. Yeah. I had started. I had watched a big chunk of the documentary. I'd taken notes and I lost the notes. Uh-oh. So then I had it's to okay. restart. <laughs> I only started this like five days ago, Laura. <laughs> it's okay. So, all right. So anyway, West Virginia coal mines, the mine wars. Uh, the big one is the Battle of Blair Mountain, in which thousands of mine workers tried to make their stand for better working conditions. It's considered the largest insurrection movement since the Civil War. Um, between 1890 and 1912, West Virginia had the most coal mining related deaths than any other state. Um, it's home of the worst mining disaster in U.S. history, when in December of 1907, an explosion in Marion County killed 361 people. Um, It was so bad to work in a West Virginia coal mine that at one point people had a better statistical outcome fighting in World War I than they did surviving a West Virginia coal mine. My gosh. So. Yeah. uh, Back then there weren't too many rights for workers. Coal had been established uh, in other states but not West Virginia. It had... Very few, if any, laws about coal mining. A lot of mine operators took advantage of this being a new battleground to make money against their competitors and hired a lot of immigrants coming out of Ellis Island um, and also enticed a lot of people that were sharecroppers, um, black people that had been former slaves, um, a more equitable opportunity um, where they would be paid the same wages as everybody else. And that sounds really cool, but except everyone was getting paid like super shitty. So like equality but we're all equally getting shit on you know um so yeah a lot of people saw mining as a way to be more independent and have some security but like it wasn't anything but that and the thing too about ellis island they said like a lot of times like people would just go and speak like basic italian to or hungarian or whatever like like they would tell you food in a home food in a home which means like you're new to this country we can at least provide you food in a home so like here's just a little shack we set you up in and then you go die in a mine, oh and then God. we kick your families yeah. out. So, yeah, anyway, everyone thought, like, okay, cool, food and a home. Like, I'm new. I don't know what's going on. Sure, I'll get on this train and go with you to work in a coal mine. Um, since a lot of these places were out of the way because you're mining, they're, like, out in mountains, you know, um, 
Miners would be forced to shop at only mine-owned stores, which already were way more inflated than other stores in neighboring towns. Um, so the reason they didn't go buy other stuff in other towns and was because they would get paid in script, which were basically Chuck E. Cheese tokens. <laughs> like, there was literally a token that said, like, good for one loaf of bread. Like, oh, my gosh. It was like, this is what it's worth, and only in this town. Oh, You're, my gosh. Like, so if you did get evicted... You you had no money. Yeah. Like, you literally had nothing. <laughs> like, it doesn't wow. matter. Yeah. yeah. So it's fucking crazy. Um, the mine owners did have an exchange program. So you could say, like, actually, I don't want this dollar in script. I want a dollar in real government money. They would take a portion of that. So for every dollar script, they would give you 75 cents. So you would instantly lose 25% of your income if you wanted to trade in your script, your bullshit fucking script for real money. My God. And they were just doing this because no one gave a shit. Yeah. Anyway. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Sorry. Yeah, I got very up. angry no. watching this program. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then when they would go to collect their money, there would be a checkoff list. So then they would tell you, well, housing costs this much and equipment costs this much and, and lighting costs this much. Um, so here's your like measly, uh, you know, worthless cash tokens that we're going to give you for like all your hard work. Oh my God. Um, so the UMWA, which is also the United Mine Workers of America, um, they were fighting the good fight for workers out in the coal mines. Coal, you know, coal needs in the U.S. were rising. The production of coal in 1887 was 4.9 million tons. By 1917, the production was 89 million tons. So it went up a lot. Um, in 1880, it said there were around 3,700 coal miners. By 1917, there were 90,000 coal miners. Um, so turn of the century, unions were essential, um, especially just such dangerous jobs. There were so many ways a person could get hurt, especially with the kind of equipment they were using. Like when they show these old video footage of like dudes like handling giant fucking drills and stuff. Yeah. It's so dangerous. Like yeah. no helmet or like, you know, helmets, but like for fucking what? Um, just like no safety equipment. It fucking was like giving me a lot of anxiety. Even when I did that um, Molly Kathleen mind tour too mm -hmm. it was the same it was crazy i was like oh my god they'd be like yeah they uh would build this and someone would be sitting right up there and it was like <laughs> the most terrifying thing i'd ever seen and i was like oh my god <laughs> and yeah then they'd be like yeah and they're holding this fucking drill or yeah. whatever and i'm like wow. standing on one foot yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah there were just so many ways you could die in a mine um it said like let me, oh, like, oh, yeah, plus, like, think, and it, I didn't even get into fucking black lung disease. Like, that did not even equate in this. But, like, how many people died of black lung disease, like, years and years later? Anyway, so they could die from something called after damp. So I basically, like, I think it's, like, I don't know. It just says they could suffocate, basically. Like, men would huh. just, like, suffocate down in the mines. Not enough air, oxygen going huh. down. Um, or methane gas could build up. Uh, sometimes that could get ignited by accident because they didn't Thanks. have... For a long, they didn't have flashlights. Like they, they had a literally a little flame in yeah. their fucking helmet. So yeah, it would just sometimes shit would just explode. I remember uh, something about like they they would have like birds in cages. Did you read anything? Oh, the about canaries that? in the yeah. coal mine. Yeah. Yep. Um, if I were a bird, that would probably be my <laughs> job. <laughs> um, yeah. So like when the bird stops chirping, it's like oh, it's time to yeah. go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
Cole was like getting the world started. Like literally Cole was running the fucking world for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And West Virginia coal production was increasing. It set an average of 10% every year around the year 1900. Um, so this is where very strong, a very strong and proud figure emerges. Her name is mother Jones. She was like fighting the good fight, man. She like believed in the unions. Uh, she was a union organizer. The mine owners fucking hated her. Mother Jones, this was so sad. She's no stranger to suffering. She'd fled Ireland during the potato famine and then watched her family, her husband and four children all die from yellow fever just after the Civil War. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine like, surviving the Civil War? No. We did it. Oh no. <laughs> um, she had wow. little patience for injustice. She didn't have a lot to lose because, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. Like, all right, I'm just going to fight for other people now. Um, but still, the working men of West Virginia were apprehensive. Uh, but I guess they loved Mother Jones because she, like, cussed like a sailor. You know, she, like, <laughs> didn't give a shit. And yeah. They were like, all right. And she was super Irish, too. Um, so anyway, it did suck, though, that my owners and government were in cahoots together, like, They suggested that in West Virginia, like the mine owners and politicians were sort of like Hmm. clasped their hands gently together (laughs) um, in a tender embrace. Um, Within a short period of time, maybe just a generation or two, most small mountaineering families got bought out by the mines for very cheap prices. Uh, One of those men was Frank Keeney. Uh, He had grown up in West Virginia and a descendant of one of the first families to settle in the state. He nor anyone he knew looked kindly to the mine owners since they were the reason that his family lost their property too. And like a lot of locals kind of felt that way. Um, Many felt like the big mines were pushing out old families. So Frank Keeney had also been working for the mine since he was nine years old, working as a trapper boy, meaning he opened and closed the doors in and out of the mine. Um, Of course, there were child labor laws that should have been prevented him from getting a job because nine is way too young to be working in a mine. That's why the states put the age of 12 to be legal to work (laughs) in a mine because, you know, that's three solid years of childhood he's missing out on. Um, So Frank Keeney, who had seen Mother Jones as a teenager goofing off in a pool hall one day with him and his buddies, um, she like came up to him and was like, you need to educate yourself. And I think she threw a book at him or something, but, (laughs) but he took her advice. Like he wouldn't, he read as much as he could by 18 though. He was supporting his mother, his siblings and his new wife. Um, you know, like I said, not everybody was a, a, a native like Keeney. A lot were from, um, Eastern Europe and a lot of, um, like I said, sharecroppers from the South, like trying to escape that like horrible cycle. Hmm. So what made, why did I say that? Sorry. Oh, I don't know what I was writing or why I wrote it. But anyway, <laughs> they were all getting about 40 cents for every ton that they worked, which wow. is fucking insane. Oh my God. Um, it was definitely, so they were, yeah, they were getting 40 cents a ton. They said, I think it was an average of about 15% less than union workers were getting. It still seems like maybe it was, I don't know, something like feels off of that number, whatever. Um, <laughs> But anyway, it was really tough work to barely make ends meet, so that had to have sucked. Uh, The owners were smart, and to keep union talk down, they heavily segregated the homes, the little coal towns, so they would make sure that all the Hungarians were over here and all the Italians were over here to, like, keep them from mingling from each other and, like, learning each other's languages and stuff. So there was, like, you know, thought to that. Um, uh, It did hold the unions off for a while, too, but... 
eight out of 10 mine workers lived in coal operated and owned towns, which is like such a high number to me. Um, these towns were always thrown together. They were literally like one bedroom shacks. Like they were, they threw these up like that should be good enough for yeah. a family of six, you know? Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, Anyway, and they were always getting, like, pressured to produce more. We need more. And then what really sucked about West Virginia was they had to do something called the long ton, which means they had to dump 2,200 pounds of coal versus unions, which did about 2,000 pounds of coal. So every ton that they get, they're actually making even less money because they're, like, throwing in more. Um, So anyway, the the coal titans hated unions because it cut into the profit margin that was – it was fairly slim – but, like, not slim enough to not pay off local politicians and police, you know? Yeah. So when the U- uh, UMWA called on all of its miners to walk off the job to help support unions in Pennsylvania, 85% of the largest mine in West Virginia walked. So, like, coal miner, you know, operators obviously noticed that. Um, this set a lot of things off into motion, mostly that of the leaders that hired. So they hired private detect- detective agencies like the Pinkertons. Um in the West Virginia coal towns, they hired the Baldwin Phelps to keep the unions from forming. Uh, they did things. So this is what they did in like these coal towns. They would like mount machine guns up on watchtowers and shit. They would like walk the premises. You know, they would just what? like in everybody's fucking business. And none of these people owned their homes. They're a coal owned home. Yeah. So like courts would usually side with the owners saying that they had master servant rights. Um, so if the owner didn't want someone to live there, they could kick you out for any fucking reason. It did not matter. And then um, also under those laws, they could search homes for no fucking reason. Yeah. If they decided to, like, the Baldwin Felts to go in and raid a home, they could just fucking do that. Yeah. No rights. Right. Um, so when 85% of the workers walked, uh, the state put together or they, the state put a target on Mother Jones. They arrested her. They told her she was illegally shutting down work. Like, they were threatening her with the book, you know. Um, A lot of those workers were expecting to be able to join the UMWA movement by showing, like, hey, we supported you. 85% of us walked off the job. But the UMWA was like, actually, there's only enough money in our budget to, like, handle one strike. Thank you for walking off the job. We're going to focus on Pennsylvania. So, like, all these workers... Some of them are out of jobs. Yeah. Now they're getting evicted from their homes. Baldwin Feltz agents are coming in. And then if you, there's union talk, Baldwin Feltz agents are really on them. So, like, it didn't it didn't give, like, much detail, but it's in the documentary where it said in an outskirt town of the southern region, um, the Baldwin Feltz rode in with guns and they just, like, started shooting people at a union meeting. So it said that, like, a few people died just on the spot, but there's not much record of it. <laughs> um, so... People are freaking out. Mother Jones gets gets involved again. Frank Keeney is also pissed. Um, he's tired of his friends being killed. He's tired of his friends being hurt. Um, no one's taking accountability. Every time there was a death, the mine owners would have ambivalence towards it. He would return. Uh, he had returned to the mines for a little bit after Mother Jones like went away. And he still wanted better working conditions. So he gets enough men together. And he tries to ask for some like fair, reasonable demands you know like hey can we not have 12 hour work days can we not be forced to do the long ton but anyway he gets fired so keeney goes to the umwa to be like hey i know you guys said you couldn't help but we really need your help and they were like no we can't help you so he goes back to mother jones like please for like somebody needs to help us like we're dying in these fucking mines mother jones agrees to help um so 
she goes to Cabin Greek, Creek. She joins him there in one of the few places that the mine doesn't own. When she arrives, there's sort of electricity in the air. Like, everyone feels like she's a rock star, man. Like, Elton <laughs> John just fucking showed yeah. up. And, um, so she, like, energizes everybody with a speech. They're going to go protest at the Capitol. So they go down to the Capitol. They get to the governor's front steps to ask for help. And they did not realize that the government was such a limp-wristed man and that he would refuse to help. He was just like, it's a private matter between worker and employee. It has nothing to do with me. So Keeney and his men were like, you bet. So since they were on their own, the governor didn't care. The mine owners were acting boorishly and like insanely. The hired guns were never going to stop. So they felt like self-defense was kind of the only thing they could do. So that led them to stockpile the Appalachian Mountains full of ammunition and guns. The violence between garden workers was on the rise to the point that there were like they started killing guards. Like they just it didn't matter. Yeah. Just start killing prison guards or uh, sorry, prison guards. <laughs> well, it yeah. might as fucking well be, uh, you know, the uh, the mine guards Yeah, um, where they would start planning gunshots around like timed ex- like explosions that they knew were happening in the mine. So like. They never got caught. Like, no one ever got caught for these murders. But on the caskets of these guards, they would leave notes that, like, one down, more to go. Like, these really threatening notes. So I think enough of these guards died that the governor finally stepped in. His name was Governor Glasscock. And he declared martial... (laughs) It really was. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He declared martial law. Um, So what really sucks is, like, he does call in the National Guard to disarm both sides, but really it's mostly about disarming the yeah. miners. Um, so he declares martial laws. He goes in without warrants. He goes into their homes, you know, wherever else they might have been um, hanging out. He takes all their guns. So this is crazy. It says that the National Guard confiscated 2,000 rifles and revolvers, over 200,000 rounds of ammunition, and six machine guns. Oh. So they were ready to fight. Yeah, they're like... And then they took all their guns. So the governor ordered both sides hash it out. The miners agreed. They were like, yeah, okay, we'll negotiate. The owners were still refusing, but the governor wasn't going to make this happen. Again, it was like these like really empty gestures that led to nowhere. Um, So instead of trying to work things out, they hired more strike breakers, uh, you know, the, the mine owners. So union talk was getting stronger because... Whether the owners wanted to admit it or not, workers were eventually going to band together despite the segregation and the communication issues. Um, it said when men work together in close spaces, in dangerous conditions, covered in soot, it's like a little bit harder to be discriminatory, you know? Um, you can't really tell who you're looking at. So anyway, uh, timelines are tricky and I did get confused, but aggressive conflicts between mine owners and mine workers had been going on for as long as West Virginia began coal mining. In any case, in 1913, a new governor shows up and tells the miners, good news, the strike is over because I said so. So he basically bullies and pressures the UMWA to say that the that their agreements have been met. Um, mine owners had agreed to some concessions. Some of the things the owners were willing to budge on was incorporating an impartial agent to verify the accuracy of the tonnage to get rid of the long ton. The right to shop at other stores. Wow, we're finally going to start paying you in real money. <laughs> like, fuck you guys. Um, and a nine-hour workday. So, like, some things got handled. Yeah. Most of the miners were like, this is bullshit, but okay, we still need a job. Um, 
Anyway, Frank Keeney was made union president for his chapter at Cabin Creek, and it was a proud moment, but also, like, eh, not enough. <laughs> so 1917, World War I breaks out. The country needs coal more than ever. Keeney really pushes his men to not striking during the war. There's this wave of patriotism as it goes when the country's at war. You know, um, literally, they become, I'm not joking, essential workers. Woodrow Wilson says that mine workers are the keystone in America's second line of defense. And, like, it really reminds me of, like, when, like, grocery store workers and all that shit was going on like you guys are so essential and then the second like it was all kind of over it was like shut the fuck up and get (laughs) back to work it like it really reminds me of like this not that it's the same but like you know what i mean just that mindset of like you're so important but actually no you're not (laughs) um so even though keeney did not support the war his national pride wanted to keep the country moving forward no matter what so with the unions being able to to bring a little bit of surplus in during the war. So I guess, you know, how wars go, like, sometimes everybody makes money when, like, the country's at war. It's just a thing. Uh, so the UMWA gets a little bit of surplus, and they decide they're going to push further into southwest Virginia because the south of West Virginia has no representation, and it's absolutely being exploited. So the UMWA was worried that because there was this big chunk of West Virginia that wasn't being represented, that, like, that lack of union would start to creep back up, like, north, all that progress they'd made trying to come down south, like, because progress had sort of stopped. So coal, coal companies were making meager attempts to coal the desires to start a union on those southern sections, like, so, like, they would try to buy out coal workers to not start a union, so they'd, like, Provided with really nice schools and really nice churches. Like, mm. see, you don't need a union. Look at how <laughs> nice we are. Um, but it didn't take away the fact that West Virginia miners, on on average, made that 15% less than union workers. Um, oh, I wrote something strange. I put A space E. I don't know what I was writing. <laughs> something. Uh, so sorry. Oh, <laughs> and, like, in these places, so, like, when this when coal mines in southern west virginia knew that they were coming like oh they're gonna start coming and campaigning they made all of their workers sign what's known as yellow dog contracts you heard Mm. of those Uh -uh. it's literally they call it yellow dog because it's like oh it's only a contract a yellow dog would sign like a scared dog you're yellow yeah exactly that's what i was thinking but i was like yeah (laughs) but like it's a I guess it's stated in the contract, these new contracts that just came out out of nowhere of, like, under no circumstances are you allowed to join a union. So, like, that's in the contract. Oh. You cannot join a union. Um, and, like, the, the southern state mine owners claim that 3,000 out of the 4,000 workers signed them. So they're like, ha, we're winning. So in Mingo County, this is one of the southern regions, a tumultuous region, um, Sid Hatfield, this is, like, the place, the legendary Hatfields and McCoys. Like, this is where, not this region in particular, but, like, that name is, like, of the Hatfields. Like, it's, like, kind of the same area where all that shit happened, you know? So, Sid Hatfield, he's in charge of the police. Um, He is surprisingly pro-union. He's, like, one of the few police in these areas that, like, loves the union. He loves the idea of union, because I guess he worked as a miner for a little bit. So he knew, like, oh, yeah, this work is bullshit. Um, Mingo County was rare in that regard, but, and also the mayor of Mingo County was pro-union and pro-worker, which is like, 
whoa, no way. There's two important guys that like give a shit about us. Um, But Sid Hatfield was known for kind of being a rough character and had a bit of a temper. I guess it was known. It was on the record that he had killed a man. It didn't say in what regard, just that he had killed somebody. (laughs) So in May of 1920, some Baldwin Feltz agents moved in unexpectedly into Mingo County with eviction notices for a bunch of, you know, coal miners. Hatfield, uh, so like, Hatfield knew all these people were supposed to get evicted. It's It was their job to help. And I guess they were, like, dragging their feet. They're trying to stop people from being evicted because they give a shit about the workers. Um, and they're just trying to show some kind of humanity. And the Baldwin Feltz agents, uh, or the Baldwin Feltz, they knew that they were dragging their feet. So they sent in more agents. Two of them, and I feel bad. I should have gotten their names. Uh, two of them were Feltz also. They were brothers of, like, the actual Mr. Felt himself of the Baldwin Felts. So, like, <laughs> they're... Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> they're the two brothers related to the Felt of the Baldwin Felts. Okay. Yes. So they're the brothers of... <laughs> I'll call him the head honcho Felt. Okay. Yes. Um, so Hatfield and the mayor, his name was Cable Testerman, which is such a fucking cool name. <laughs> I don't know why I love that name, but uh-huh. I do. Um, they met the armed guards at the train station. Other agents moved into the, the outskirts of town, carrying out their eviction notices, like literally just throwing everyone's shit under the street. There's all these pictures of just like mattresses and tables and lamps just like lined up all down like one street where they just evicted person after person after person. Um, so it's crazy. Yeah. So anyway. The two brothers carried on about their business. Uh, when the agents f- finished conducting their dastardly business, Hatfield and Testerman, as they're getting ready to get back onto the trains, after they've kicked everybody out of their homes, they swarm the two agents, uh, the brother agents, so the other felts, the two felts. Like I said, they came with other men, but those other men are at a different part of the train station waiting for the train. Their guns are packed in their bags. The brothers are arguing with Hatfield and Testerman. No one can say for sure, but a shot was fired. Mm -hmm. So this led to just gunfire. One shot, gunfire. Witnesses said that shots were even coming from second story windows. So they're pretty sure that Hatfield and Testerman got some people together and like staged some shit. Like they're pretty sure that they tried to shoot these guys. I mean, staged a gunfight, you know? So anyway, uh... Planned attack. So whether it was planned or not, seven agents died, including those two felt brothers. Um, Four townspeople were dead in the aftermath, including the mayor. Oh, wow. Cable testament. (laughs) He died. So Hatfield was also shot, but he survived his injury. Hatfield and others were charged with murder. Mother, so this is like just whoa, crazy. Yeah. Um, Mother Jones went back to Mingo County to rally the troops. Keeney also arrives to try to help resolve the problems by lending Union support. And I swear to God, I'm almost done. I'm so no, sorry. Not really. I have three more pages. Fuck. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, Keeney also arrived to try to help resolve uh, Union support. When Keeney reached uh, out to the mine owners, every single one replied that they were uninterested in making any changes. Um, so Keeney did what he did. He was like, "All right, we're striking." So in July of 1920, they stroke. Uh, they stroked. <laughs> uh, they had a stroke. Um, the owners tried to. So okay, World War One, right? So like you know how this country freaks the fuck out about socialism. Oh my god, there's nothing worse than socialism. That's basically what these union, um, the mine owners, tried to push off as union workers. It's the Red Scare. 
Russians. Oh my god, guys, we gotta really freak the fuck out about this. Um, and like newspapers were not kind to striking miners either. Like, hey, this is a country we need coal. Like, you guys are being selfish. Yeah. You guys are being greedy. You know. Um, and that even the New York, like the New York Times, had an article that was like saying, well, when when the, the you know the bad people, all these evil like mine workers when the really bad ones die off things will get better you know like we just have to wait for certain people to die for things to get to get better um but yeah and then this was a part of the american plan do you recall the american plan i no. (laughs) i did i covered it for a story i think you weren't here for it i think it was one of the weird ones where john recorded with me the american plan was basically like a way to target women like did i tell you that like it's a like oh we have to protect the troops yeah. from evil women with STDs. We have to make sure that our soldiers are pure of heart and clean of STDs. Um, <laughs> and we, it's all these sluts out here oh that are gosh. ruining the army. Yeah. Like that's literally was like the mindset. So they were arresting women. Like what? you're sitting alone at a restaurant. We're going to arrest you. Cause oh you gosh. might be some commie slut. I don't know. <laughs> so there was like, a lot of that but apparently this was also a part of the american plan of like how america fuck yeah are you um so like and it it's like politicians it's big business owners that are all a part of this like movement for the american plan like this is america anyway it's super bizarre i would say go look it at um in january of 1921 sid hatfield and 22 others went to court federal troops were sent in to maintain order just in case violence broke out Mr. Felt, as I have stated, the feltiest of felts, the top felt. Um, he did try to spread rumors that Hatfield was a bastard. He's a liar. He was a coward. All that normal stuff. Because, you know, Hatfield is like the reason his brothers are dead. Yeah. Um, it kind of didn't help that Hatfield married Cable Testerman's widow two weeks after what? he was murdered. Oh, This whole thing's fucking fast. crazy. It was really fast. <laughs> you know, trauma. It brings us together, I guess. <laughs> Um, so he tried to say that, like, Hatfield shot Testerman himself to steal his woman. I mean, it's not <laughs> a bad rumor, honestly. It's probably the best one. Uh, but anyway, so I, it didn't matter, like, eh. So this is all happening. All these rumors are spreading. Uh, so then they're in court. There, here comes this guy. His name is C.E. Lively. He testifies. He's been in Mingo County this whole time. He's known Sid Hatfield. He's known the union workers. He had offered his restaurant as a place for them to have meetings. Like, if you guys want to come hang out. So he gets on the stand. And then there he says, oh, yeah, I've been an undercover detective for the Baldwin Felts this whole fucking time. And I guess the courtroom, like, erupts. Everyone's like, I guess, like, Sid Hatfield stands up and is like, you motherfucker. Like, (laughs) people just stand up and start cussing this guy out. Like, fuck you. Um, But he said that Hatfield told him, oh, yeah, I killed Cable Testerman's wife so that I can murder his widow. Or, you know, uh, marry his widow. (laughs) Murder his widow. Um, Marry his widow. It didn't matter. Luckily, oh. he. I think because of where they were at, they were very like pro union, pro worker. So yeah. they like were gonna let they were gonna let this guy get off anyway. So Hatfield is found not guilty. Um, so anyway, sorry. I know this is like so much information, but Hatfield's not guilty. So just okay. keep that in your okay. back pocket. <laughs> A newly elected governor, Ephraim Morgan, he takes the side of the mine owners in general. 
it was getting so bad. So this is right, like right around that time. In 1921, the U.S. State Committee on Education and Labor declared that the state was in effect an industrial autocracy. Like even the federal government's noticing. Are they doing anything about it? No, but they it's noted. So Morgan was also terrified that anything of anything that might be socialist. He warned teachers that they were on the front lines against uh, Bolshevistic doctrines that are being dis, uh, disseminated throughout the country. Um, he started the Vigilance Committee. So this is where it was made of more respectable types, businessmen, doctors, lawyers, etc., to support anti-union rhetoric. They would spread that shit. Um, Morgan was sending actual letters to the President of the United States, Warren G. Harding, to send in the National Guard to break up the UMWA. Harding wasn't going to do that. <laughs> So Morgan, the only rational thing he could think of to do was to declare martial law, as he do. And he doubled up on the police in the southern coal towns. Uh, they harassed minors and their families. They rounded up men. They basically oppressed in any way that they ca could. Um, people could be arrested for simply standing in a group of more than three. It was called bundling. <laughs> so if you're bundling out there, you got to be arrested. Wow. One guy was arrested for having a... A pamphlet, a UMWA pamphlet in his back pocket. Oh, but again, it's martial law, so like you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Uh, while this is happening, Sid Hatfield is just out there doing his thing. He's not out of hot water yet. He still has charges. He has to go to and make court appearances for. Um, he was summoned to Welch in McDowell County, which was very anti-union. The, the county was being run by a man named Don Chafin. He was an extremely anti-union dude that was definitely being paid off by the coal companies. One figure I heard was that he was making $30,000 a year from the mines to keep the unions out. Wow. So they're obviously not hurting for fucking money. Yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, Hatfield and his friend, Ed Chambers, along with their wives, they go to McDowell County on a train. On that train is C.E. Lively, and it's noticed that he's there. Mm -hmm. um, then they go to lunch. Who's there? C.E. Lively is there, mm -hmm. too, just watching them. So they're like, okay, we're being followed by this guy. They go, they have to turn their gun in, guns in before they go um, to court. So they're walking up the steps of the court to the courtroom or to the courthouse, and who's standing there up at the top? It's C.E. Lively with some other Baldwin Feltz agents. Um, so Lively, right there, he shoots Ed Chambers in the neck. Oh. And then the other two agents just open fire at Hatfield. Their wives just stand there. And those two just died on the front of the courtroom steps. Oh, my God. No one is arrested. No what? charges. Nothing. Nothing ever happened to these guys. They just died at the top of the courts, uh, court steps. <laughs> Newspapers didn't give a shit. Um, at Hatfield's and Chambers' funeral, though, 2,000 miners showed up to say their goodbyes. Mm. Um, Keeney and Mother Jones. This is, like, really where it, like, fucking match meet TNT, man. So Keeney and Mother Jones, they call for a protest. Keeney did not hold back his anger. He's like, everyone get guns. We have to defend ourselves. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, we're fucking pissed. Word spreads to miners. Uh, they gather. The goal was to start in Charleston, West Virginia, and march 50 miles to Logan County, armed and, like, ready for battle. So Mother Jones, as well as the UMWA, considered this a very bad move. They're like, all right, the country as a whole is doesn't like what you're doing. Now you're going to take guns and, you know, storm into yeah. Logan County and do what? You know, like, it, it was, like, just some really emotional, angry decisions were being made. Um, so, like... Mother Jones is, like, desperate. She tries to lie and say that, like, oh, Governor Harding said that he would help our cause if you just, uh, if you guys just call off this 
this protest, this march. And then Keeney called her out. She she tells him to go to hell and then she leaves and they like never talk again, which is like really sad. So the next day, 600 men left the temporary camp to start marching towards Logan County as the March grows. And I don't know how many days this is that they've been walking, but 600 grows into 8,000. So just before reaching Logan County on a dirt road, they dig their heels into the base of Blair mountain. Um, There Keeney and other union and another union organizer, Fred Mooney, they're summoned to meet with a general from the U S war department department. So he was there to tell them that they needed to stop pretty pleased with sugar on top or else. Um, And they're like, well, or else what? And then he's like, these aircraft that we brought and they show up with aircraft and there's a World War One hero pilot there. And he's very open, like newspapers are asking him, like, what are you going to do about the miners? And he's like, well, we're just going to, you know, drop a bunch of uh, gas on them at first. And if that doesn't work, we're just going to spray the mountainside full of bullets. And Yeah, Keeney and Mooney, they see this. They're like, you know what? Fuck this shit. So they go back and they tell everybody, like, all right, pack up. We're done. It's over. Like, this is going to be a bloodbath. We can't do it. So they leave and they leave another union guy in charge. His name is Bill Blizzard. Um, So his job, and they had agreed, like, okay, just we'll put everybody on trains to send them home. They're like, all right, we'll just organize that. Fine. It's been 24 hours Don Chafin, Mr. Anti-Union, I'm getting $30,000 a year to make sure no unions get into my county. He just decides on his own he's going to go round up and arrest 40 miners. And in that process, they kill two union men. Hmm. There's a whole fucking army there. Yeah. And they're, the police still go in and do this shit. So they think the only reason Don Chafin did this was literally to provoke a fight. Yeah. Like, they were like, he wants to fight. Yeah. Like, what other reason would you have for doing this? Yeah. Um, and it worked because a lot of people that were on their way home heard about people being killed and they were like, fuck this shit. We're going back. Yeah. So a lot of people just turned right around and went back. Um, and But they've kind of gotten a lot of their guns taken away. So they raid homes to take wh- oh whatever guns are yeah. nearby. Um, so armed miners, they're running around the woods. They eventually run into some chafing men and they start firing. And this this giant fucking battleground, like yeah. right there at the base of Blair Mountain. Um, they said eight to 10,000 miners. I, I think that sounds right. Um, they said it was against, it was eight to 10,000 miners up against about 3,000 army and law enforcement, like combined. Yeah. So, but it said they were able to hold the line. It was a 25 mile line that wow. they held. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and then they're fighting and they hear planes. They're like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh shit, the planes. Yeah. Um, it turns out they were not military planes. Well, okay, this was confusing because I got two different stories yeah. from two different places. Either they were military planes that Don Chafin used or Don Chafin rented planes, which I think that's what happened. Yeah. And he was dropping his own bullshit makeshift bombs like oh, out. So okay. it was like they were throwing bombs out, but luckily they didn't hit. Like okay. every single one of them missed. And then one of the planes accidentally crashed into a house. Oh my so God. It's like a fucking yeah. just total shit show up there. Um, <clears throat> so... Within this battle, the army calls in, like, 2,100 fresh fresh troops. The miners are like, okay, I think it's really over now. They knew they didn't stand a chance. The battle only, only lasted three days. Surprisingly, only 20 people died. 20 people, three days, 25-mile-long hmm. stretch. Yeah. And they're shooting at each other and dropping bombs. And luckily, only 20 people died. Yeah. 
Sadly, the army was there really only to restore order. They were not there to deliver justice. So when the army left, nothing changed. Uh, the U.S. government was leaving it up to the state to deal with the legalities. Um, the state, of course, blamed the miners and the union for everything. Treason charges were placed on Mooney, Keeney, and Blizzard, um, as well as 500 other union men and supporters. Uh, luckily, there were no guilty verdicts, and very few went to trial. Hmm. So... The miners said they didn't feel like Americans and weren't sure if the government even considered them citizens. So with that, no real conclusion to the story other than the movement just sort of fizzled out. Little changed after all that effort. But at least in 1930, the same year Mother Jones died, Congress passed laws that it was uh, legal to unionize. It was illegal to blacklist listers, uh, blacklist workers over striking. And it was super illegal to hire private spies and union busters and armed guards like the Baldwin Felts and the Pinkertons. So that was it. Yeah. Fuck. I'm so sorry. That was so long. Um, My main source was mine wars on PBS, uh, Appalachian history.net by Tave Tabler and some NPS.gov articles, archive.wvculture.org, EIA.gov, West Virginia encyclopedia.org. And then I was, shit, I had a fucking, there was a podcast I listened to that I I got a couple things from, not too many. I'll have to figure that out later. Yeah, I don't have my phone. It's somewhere else. Whatever. So, fuck, dude, that was me. Thanks for sitting patiently as I rambled on. No, it was cool to hear about. I, so I've been doing that ancestry, I guess it's kind of unrelated, but no, that's <laughs> I've okay. been doing the ancestry DNA thing right and like building my, well, I'm waiting for it. It takes like weeks, but I've been building my family tree and shit and like a bunch of my family was from fucking Virginia. So what? then I was like thinking like, huh, I wonder if any of them were coal miners or I bet, man, probably I thought bet. <laughs> well, cause they said it was not uncommon to like see like when they list people, um, that worked or died in the mines. They said it was not uncommon to see like a father and son killed oh. or like brothers killed. Like it just everybody, there's nowhere else to work. Yeah, it's like where everyone worked. It seems right. like we all seen October Sky. We know. <laughs> I haven't. Fuck, Laura. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> Okay. Well, well, I feel bad because my story is probably very short compared to that. Dude, but... I talked forever. We need a short story. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, obviously, you already know, but the people don't know. But today, I will be talking about the Mothman of West Virginia and the collapse of the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant. So oh, yes. And I should talk to this about this because, I mean, obviously, I've already told you this, but we were... Um, <laughs> I wanted to do like stories about the Appalachian Mountains, but then I was just so worried about researching that. Like I felt like that would be a very long story probably. But then I had saw like, oh, Mothman came up and mm-hmm. then I looked him up. He's from West Virginia. So I was like, it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. And I love Mothman. I have a Mothman necklace. So, and just, I saw the movie when I was a kid and it freaked me the fuck out. Yeah. And I don't know why. I mean, probably today if I watched it, I'd be like, oh, but. No, I, th- I was a young adult when I saw really? that. I was like, oh, that's yeah. fucking creepy, man. Never- it- yeah, not scary, just creepy. It's just creepy, yeah. I just remember it being very, like, like eerie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but um, if you've never heard of Mothman, I'll tell you who or what he is. So, <laughs> Mothman is a 10-foot-tall creature with wings and red eyes. Obviously, it's a humanoid-type 
of creature and apparently or i assume looks somewhat like a moth he is part of the folklore in west virginia and is even the mascot of point pleasant they have a mothman statue that looks extremely ripped like i think he has (laughs) he has like a 20 pack i don't know if you look at the photo of the statue it's terrifying (laughs) is it like korean jesus do you Uh, remember that do you remember that guy? No. Jesus? He's fucking chiseled, Really? Man. Yes. Yeah. He died. For, he shredded for your sins, man. Oh. Well, yeah. He's basically like moth Korean Jesus. Excellent. So, <laughs> um, they have the Mothman Festival, which I really want to go to one day. I think it would be so fun. Um, but yeah, looking online, it just seems like he's kind of scattered all over the town. Um, they have the Mothman Museum, and I just think it's cool in general. Like, I love all the cute little Mothman stuff, mm-hmm. little stuffed animals and shit. So um, he was first spotted in the 60s, and I saw two different stories that were like, oh, no, we were the first ones who saw him, and we were the first ones who saw him, but mm. I'll tell both. Um, the first that I chose to talk about was headlined um, Point Pleasant's local newspaper on November 16th of 1966, and it read, couple see man-sized bird, dot, 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 creature, dot, mm. dot, dot, something. Whoa. <laughs> uh, so um, after the first story's appearance in the weekly Point Pleasant Register, the national press picked it up and the story was circulated around the United States. So what exactly did these couples see, you ask? Well, it was just the day before the story ran in the paper, and couples Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Mallet were driving together on State Route 62 near the abandoned National Guard Armory building and power plant when they saw him, a large black figure standing six to seven feet tall. In the headlights, giant eyes shone bright red. Roger, who was driving the car at the time, immediately started to freak out, and he sped the car way back towards town, but apparently Mothman and his glowing red eyes followed. According to these accounts, the thing, end quote, rose up like a helicopter. So in a lot of these stories, too, where people saw him, they said that he flew like silently, almost like his wings weren't even moving. And he, it was just like he was like gliding, very creepy. So, yeah, he rose up like a helicopter, um, though I guess they saw. I know it really freaked me out when I heard that. I was like, oh, kind of just freakier. But um, I guess they were like, oh, but he was a clumsy runner. So I guess he started. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a really weird thing to add in. But okay. Now I can't. Okay. First was, okay. Sorry. Turn this down. First, it was super creepy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, he's just like, oh, rising. Yeah. And then I'm picturing this super goofy run. Yeah. Oh. Like he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Like he's got no control of his arms. He's like wobbling around. I know. I thought it was so funny. Um, but yeah, so, but he excelled in gliding, they said. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he easily kept pace, even as the car reached 100 miles per hour. So Scarberry insisted that he was telling the truth, and he even said that if he would have seen it by himself, he wouldn't have said anything. But since all four of them saw the creature, he obviously had to tell someone. He just felt like, okay, we all saw it. Like, it had to have been real. So his wife described the creature as muscular and slender with white wings. She claimed that his eyes were hypnotic, like so hypnotic that she couldn't even remember what its face looked like. And everyone who claimed to have seen him said the same thing, that it was like hit the eyes like threw him off were and... they drawn like a moth to the flame <laughs> basically <laughs> well <laughs> but yeah so um uh oh, okay so the other story i read which um i think was the actual first sighting of him took place november 12th and it came from a group of grave diggers 
that were working in a cemetery, obviously, <laughs> and they spotted the creature. So as they were all digging, I guess, uh, they noticed something sore above their heads. So they looked up and they saw the massive figure moving from tree to tree. They would later describe the figure as a brown human being, which... Okay. No. <laughs> uh, I read that he flew around silently, as I said, and um, they said they were just like really freaked out because they're like staring at him moving back from like the trees, and it looks like he's almost not even like moving. But yeah, so they also claimed he had the glowing red eyes, and they immediately just shared this story with the community because they were like, "What the fuck?" Um, so I believe other sightings had been happening around this time, so everyone already believed them. It just wasn't like knowledge really I feel like until that newspaper um article came out where everyone was like wow like Mothman's really out here so this is how like Mothman began to evolve and obviously now it's like these stories are just like common knowledge so um as time went on more and more sightings of Mothman began to spread and just three days after the first sighting the Gettysburg Time reported eight more stories of the Mothman so on the 14th just a day before the creature had chased the car with the two couples in it, Mothman made an appearance at the home of Newell, I don't know how to say it, Newell, I don't know, Newell, Pat Ridge in Salem, West Virginia. Um, Newell claimed his German shepherd named Bandit bolted into the woods near his home after two glowing red circles. And so he said he went into the woods to search for his dog following a trail of paw prints. And he found the paw prints and it looked just like a big circle, I guess. And then it was like they didn't go anywhere else and his dog was gone. He never found his dog. Um, sorry. Okay. okay. I ate Chipotle and... Oh, shit. Bad decision. Okay. So, um, at this time, a reporter by the name of Mary, I think, Hare or Hire, um, was following the Mothman stories, and she was a journalist for the Athens, Ohio Messenger, and she was receiving hundreds of calls in just a short span of time, reporting sightings of the Mothman, um, strange lights, and even UFO sightings. So she soon teamed up with the writer of the book Mothman Prophecies, John Keel, which this book was an inspiration for the 2002 movie, but it's nonfiction and is apparently like a real account of all of this weird shit that was happening, which I bought the book and I was reading through it and it is really weird, just like lots of weird stuff in there. So, um, oops. Okay. So while um, researching this, I found that many people described Mothman as a bird, but just because of one like weird reporter, I guess, calling it a moth, the name mm -hmm. caught on. And so, yeah, the rest is history. Birdman's so lame, I know. I'm like, I was thinking about that. I'm like, I don't think it'd be as cool, but so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mothman's got a cool, yeah. mysterious vibe to it. Birdman. I, it's definitely the guy I picture like running yeah. after the car. Like. <laughs> Goofy big nose motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. So, it's um, just John Oliver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Mary was getting up to 20 calls a day during this time. That weren't all sightings of the bird-like humanoid creature. They were also getting reports of UFOs. So um, some of these ranged from the UFOs following cars of people along the river home uh, or huh? <laughs> I don't know what I was saying. Oh, okay. So it was along the Ohio River. So it was like people were saying like, oh, I was driving home from work and a UFO followed me the whole time home or whatever along the river. Uh, the same family that lost their dog, Bandit, claimed that they were all relaxing by their pool when the entire sky went black and an enormous UFO with many portholes and rivets appeared. Which... Hmm. Uh, I, did anyone else report that? I don't know. Okay. Uh, I was like, maybe these people just a little, I don't know. Okay, so um, they also 
reported just people in the area in general receiving phone calls with strange beeping and mechanical sounds and lots of people too kept calling in and being like oh this weird like mechanical voice was calling me like sounded like metal i don't know uh mary the reporter even herself experienced this as well as other people uh claiming the same thing so i don't know could be true could not be true who's who knows uh so one woman claimed that on her way home she saw a large gray figure fly over her car and for the two weeks following this incident her eyes were swollen shut with conjunctivitis so lots of people were thinking that mothman was like the devil and uh then there's other people who thought he was like an alien um other people who just think he was like some kind of i don't know bad omen i'm not sure yeah uh but one guy said that he appeared in his bedroom mothman and that he soon evaporated into thin air after thinking biblical thoughts because he claimed he couldn't even speak so he just started thinking of the bible and like mothman disappeared in front of his eyes so (laughs) i know it's like a um so there was some like there was actually many accounts of dogs cows like people's like farm animals and shit disappearing or being found dead under weird circumstances. And the guy who wrote that book, John Keel, went to these people's houses and examined the carcasses. And he said they appeared to have, like, no trace of blood in them and had surgical-like incisions on their throats. So, did he did he take pictures? I don't know. I don't think so. Hmm. I'm not sure. Okay. When was this? Uh, the 60s. Okay. Yeah. So, um, strangely enough, while all of this was taking place, uh, apparently the men in black showed up. <laughs> Which, I mean, with any kind of weird shit like this, I feel like it attracts the men in black, so... 100%. uh, So, I don't know if you've ever really heard any stories about the men in black, but I find it strange that all the stories, one, they're just, like, creepy as fuck, and two, they describe them as acting weird, almost like, as, like, like, they're the... The aliens? I don't know. Which I feel like if they're looking for aliens or weird shit, they should be normal, but... Yeah, so, um... I just found a few weird stories about them. Actually, I guess they're not that weird, but just examples, I guess. Like, one lady in Minnesota named Miss Ralph Awatana said an officer came to her house in May of 1967. His clothes seemed brand new, and his shoes were unscuffed. Even the soles were clean. She apparently offered him jello, and he tried to drink it and seemed very confused, which... Okay, it's kind of stupid, but <laughs> it was the 60s, so I feel like jello, you know, it should have been known. You should know right? how to eat jello in the 60s. Uh... So, you can see why she was weirded out. Um, but there's stories of them, like, not knowing how to eat, apparently. Like, I kept finding all these weird stories. Like, I had to cut his steak for him. And yeah. I don't know. I was telling my sister huh. this, too. She's like, why are they all eating together? And I was like, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. how, do we keep, um, how do these men in black keep getting, like, food? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then lots of stories, too, of them appearing, like, at houses in the middle of the night and being like, I need to use a phone. I need a drink of water. Um, lots of them, too, like, impersonating military officers. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that video of like the weird creepy like white guys in suits like like sheet white though it's like creepy and they're like walking into a bank or something like that and they're supposed to be men in black if you ever see it's Mm. really scary you should look it up it freaks me out watching it i was like okay but um the really weird ones i thought were the like phantom meter readers where they claim to be like an electrician or something and they go down into the basement and then it's just like they never come back or they disappear one person says that they were down in their basement for so long they open the door and it's like immediately after opening their door the guy's just like standing there staring up the stairs like at them like i don't know it's, oh my god i know it's like creepy as burn the house down <laughs> in it we gotta go but yeah you get the gist of the men in black they're creepy yes. 
um, and they were running around Point Pleasant. So they were typically seen um, in the black suits, and then they have a lot about it in the book, but, like, um, this John Keel guy was, like, obsessed with finding them, and it was, like, any time they were reported anywhere, he would, like, rush there, and they would be gone, like, he couldn't find them, and then people were saying, oh, they're always driving Cadillacs, and then it was, like, he said that as soon as he found out they were driving Cadillacs, and all of a sudden they're in Volkswagens, and, mm. yeah, he was just, like, on the search for them. But um, apparently they were, like, questioning people about the Mothman and the UFOs, and then they'd be like, do not speak about this. And then Mary Hare, the reporter, claimed that they came and questioned her, and her friend Dottie Campbell was there, and apparently it scared the shit out of them. They were both, like, really freaked out. Mary says that they didn't even blink their eyes the entire time. They said that they were, like, sheet white. Their fingers were really long. It, like, looked like you could see, like, the blood in their hands. Like, yeah, they just were, like, really fucking creepy. Um, and then weirdly enough, so in the book, The Mothman Prophecies, it starts off with a visit from one of these like men in black to the home of this couple that ends up dying in the Silverbridge tragedy that I'm going to talk about. And they said that, um, he had come to their house. He was like six foot tall. He was dressed in a black suit. He was asking to use the phone and it scared the couple so badly that they had like told their friends who recalled the event just like a few weeks after they had died and they were like yeah the couple was really freaked out and they felt like it was like a bad omen or something they claimed like it was even like the devil himself but who knows but yeah so um today in point pleasant sightings of the mothman no longer happen and it seems Mm -hmm. like he just vanished like a short while after the sightings many people believe the mothman was a bad omen of what was to come about a year after the first sighting which was the silver bridge disaster So it was nearly a week before Christmas in West Virginia when the bridge that connected to, I don't know how to say this, Canuga, Ohio, collapsed into the Ohio River. So it was like from Virginia to Ohio. Uh, 31 vehicles plunged into the river carrying 64 people and killing 46 of them. And two of the bodies were never found. So years before it collapsed, many people had complained about the integrity of the bridge, claiming that it would sway back and forth, like even when you were on it. Uh, The two-lane bridge was an I-bar suspension bridge that was 1,760 feet long, and it took nearly a year to build. Um, As, like, much of the stories we hear of bridges or buildings collapsing, a lot of corners were cut during its build. The bridge was actually the first of its kind in the U.S., and it was originally planned to be built with the traditional wire cables, but since the I-bar design was cheaper, that's what they ran with. Mm -hmm. So as time went on, the bridge no longer met standards due to the fact that in the 1920s when the bridge was built, the average car weighed around like 1,200 pounds. And by the 60s when the bridge collapsed, the average weight of a car was 3,000 pounds. Mm. Um, So it did go under regular inspections and it even underwent $30,000 of repairs in um, 1965, just a year before all this happened. Um, I'm going to say it. 30,000 does not sound like enough. Yeah, <laughs> especially for a giant-ass bridge. That sounds like four potholes yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, the inspection, it did have further inspections, like, after this, but it didn't catch any of the major problems. I just because, I don't know how to describe the eye bar things. I don't know if you've seen it. It's basically like this, where they're, like, all kind of lined up, and they connect, like, other pieces, and so yeah. there's no way to take them apart and see inside, which mm-hmm. they were, like, severely corroding. It's, like, built over water, you know, mm-hmm. so... Um, I guess investigators, investigators claimed too after the fact, like everything that happened, uh, that if there would have just been like three or more eye bars per link, the disaster would have been avoided. So the eye bar failure would ultimately, ultimately be the uh, demise of the bridge itself and the 46 lives it took with it. So on December 15th, when the bridge collapsed, Rudy Oddwell was one of the first responders on scene. The bridge had already collapsed 
but he could hear people screaming from help like down below he said it was like really you know long drop like from their cars in the water they're like screaming but there was nothing he could do uh the victims were either killed immediately from the impact or they drowned some who witnessed the collapse had just driven over the bridge others like a pregnant woman by the name of charlene wood felt the bridge vibrating and she like reversed off of it and made it like just in time it like Holy collapsed shit. immediately yeah um so some survivors like howard boggs lost their entire family like yeah i didn't want to talk about too many of them because i was like wow this is fucking depressing but yeah. they like got, rescued him on a lifeboat and it was like his wife and kids were in the car and yeah oh it's horrible um many of the cars were trapped beneath the collapsed bridge until 50 ton cranes could come in and move the pieces so that's why like those two bodies that were never found were gone because it was just like i think it took like weeks until they could really get everything moved and get everyone like body counted uh so despite this being a structural issue many people believed the mothman had something to do with the collapse claiming that he was a malevolent being some people think he caused it other people thought he could like see the future and he was like trying to warn people that's why he was like trying to call people and all these Mm -hmm. weird phone calls and stuff that were happening it was like he was like a warning um the Silver Bridge disaster led to a national change in how bridges were inspected. It also sparked the closure of two other bridges that had a similar design immediately. Mm-hmm. And one of those was the St. Mary's Bridge, which was like demolished immediately after they closed it. Um, the national change was ordered by Lyndon B. Johnson, who had heard about the Silver Bridge tragedy. And he was like, oh, yeah, we need to change how like bridges are inspected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the loss of the bridge resulted in nearly a million dollars, like... Um, a month or something like that i think that's what i wrote it really weird but um i just remember they were like losing a shit ton of money because they were using like ferries and stuff to like get across and they realized like shit we're actually losing a lot of money we need to rebuild this so they rebuilt it and they named it the silver bridge memorial bridge and it was just a little south of the original bridges location um a memorial was also installed in point pleasant that reads silver bridge constructed in 1928 connected Point Pleasant and Canuga, Ohio. Name credited to aluminum-colored paint used. First eyebar suspension bridge of its type in U.S. Rush hour collapse on 15 December 1967 resulted in 31 vehicles falling into the river, killing 46 and injuring 9. Failed eyebar joint and weld identified as cause resulted in congressional passage of National Bridge Inspection Standards in 1968. So... Although the bridge is... Okay, sorry, I was going to say one more thing before I say this. So, um, my sister was, like, confused when I was telling her about this. She was like, what the fuck did Mothman have to do with this bridge collapse? But I was reading other stories of people who were, like, in 9-11 and stuff, mm-hmm. like, saw the Mothman. And people were like, oh, before my plane crashed, I saw the Mothman. And so, he's, like, spotted a lot before, like, disasters. Um, natural disasters or just, like, really, like, horrible things happening. Like, you can find out online, like, there's this weird page I was looking and it's, like, all this weird shit, like, oh, like, before my plane took out off, I saw him. So, it was just kind of, like, that thing where, like, I guess people really were just convinced that he was, like, the omen of this, yeah, like, bridge okay. collapse. So, okay. So, although the bridge is remembered mostly due to the tragedy in 50... And almost 50 lost lives. It is also connected to the strange humanoid creature that appeared to locals in Point Pleasant for nearly a year. There used to be an exhibit that displayed an eyebar assembly from the original bridge, as well as a replica model of the bridge in Point Pleasant River Museum. But sadly, the museum was closed. I guess it, like, caught fire. And then, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, should have warned him. Yeah. 
<laughs> but you can still see an Ibar um, example near like a rest stop in Ohio somewhere. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, so today Point Pleasant welcomes visitors with open wings traveling from all over just to catch a glimpse of the hypnotizing red eyes of the Mothman. And the annual festival brings in nearly 10,000 visitors a year. And in a way, some people believe he saved the otherwise once empty town. Nice. What's yeah. a, w- when is Mothman Day or festival? Um, I think it's it said the third week of De- September. Yeah, oh, September. I was like, December, no. we can do it. <laughs> I know. I was so sad because I was like, oh my gosh, I want to go because I've been wanting to take a vac- vacation. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I missed it. Well, fuck it. But you can plan like, plan I know. It. like next year I'm going to West Virginia for Mothman. Literally, I thought it would be so cool. I was like, wow. So, yeah. I would want to go just to like, A, I absolutely would fucking do that. Yeah. And B, I would really want to go into the Appalachian Mountains and like, like, see if I could find, like, bullets and shit just, yeah. like, sitting around. Because apparently be they cool. said you can, like, you can still find casings and stuff. Really? And, like, oh. yeah, from all that firepower. Wow. But Mothman sounds way more fun cool. than picking up <laughs> I old find logs. Mothman, but I found yeah. bullet. No. I think that would be still be cool. I would love to find shit like so that. So Mothman, what is it? Is it just, like, vendors and stuff? Like, does yeah. it have? Yeah, it's just, like, a big festival. They have, like, a big festival of, like, lights almost. Oh, okay. It's, like, a parade. And, okay. like, yeah. <gasps> could you imagine all the Mothman merch you could get there? That'd I know. That'd be so cool. Get little goggles. And... I know. I was looking online. I was like, wow, it looked like they had, like, so much cool shit. Mm-hmm. And even the museum, they have, like, giant, like, moth painting. It's just, like, yes. so cool. I was like, oh, my gosh, I really want to go. It's just... All that folk art with Mothman in yeah. it? Dude, that would be so cool i know i was like dang we should go yeah <laughs> and then real quick when you said men in black yeah. my mind was like what a hilarious joke because will smith and tommy lee jones just rolling <laughs> out men in black they're right? gonna fucking put the memory stick on them or something <laughs> and then you were like have you heard and for a second i was like well yeah yeah but then you were like started going no they're like real i had no a idea real group okay. yeah that apparently i mean some people claim i'm gonna try not, to but... look up the white suit guys and yeah. the bank that sounds fucking it's, freaky it's creepy there's actually like tons of stories of like men in black when like weird shit happens and them being like questioned like oh like a guy had a weird like aircraft fall in his yard and then they show up and they're like you're not to talk about this and they're creepy as fuck and they don't know how to like eat their steaks and stuff <laughs> uh, but, yeah did uh sorry real quick i know we gotta like wrap this no. up but like that uh so in the movie i remember there was a uh, laura linney's character was talking about how like she had gotten that phone call or she had a dream or something or it was like paging number 34 or something about her car being like the 34th one that or she was like the 34th oh. person rescued or something yeah, like that like, yeah did th- was that in the book at all um like... i don't i didn't read anything about it because okay. i only got like halfway through it but um i didn't see anything about it because i literally i had like 20 fucking sources i felt like not really but yeah. i was reading so many things and it was really like i felt like the movie kind of i don't know over dramatized it you know just to make it kind of like well yeah because it was all in like this one guy's like visit yeah i think they had to pack in like his his month-long visit in west virginia yeah but no it was over like the course of a year that it was like happening and then but it was weird because it was like as soon as like the bridge collapsed it was like it just like stopped like people just stopped seeing him so i thought that was also kind of creepy or i'm like "Hmm," like, that is fucking nuts i don't know but yeah um okay i'll read my sources real quick because yeah. Okay. So I read the true story of the Silver Bridge collapse that left 46 people dead by Marco Marjatov on all that's interesting.com. Uh, the 2022 Mothman Festival uh, 
like, okay, it says 2022 Mothman Festival attracts a large crowd of cryptid enthusiasts with first event since 2019, which, yeah, the festival, I guess, started pretty late. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie didn't come out until, like, 2002, even though it's happened in, like, the 60s. But, yeah, so yeah. Um, by Emily Vautal. The Mothman encounters from 1966 to 1967. Um, an ode to a hometown creature, Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, by Gwen Mallow. Uh, I looked on like Wiki for like the Silver Bridge and mm-hmm. just Mothman in general, just to see other stuff. Um, the true story behind the legendary Mothman said to terrorize terrorize West Virginia by Jacqueline Anglis. Um, Mothman. That's what all it was called. I couldn't find anyone who wrote it. Um, the Gravedigger's Terror and its Significance by Sean Brewer. The Legend of Mothman by On Paranormal West Virginia by Shyla Klein. And then, yeah, those were my sources. Nice. Yeah. That was solid. Thank God. I know mine, like, dragged on forever. Yeah. Yours was awesome. Thanks. I love learning Sorry. about Mothman. I, know, I didn't it realize fun. it went back so <laughs> far. Yeah, I know. I didn't either. I was like, oh, weird. It's literally, like, the 60s, so... Yeah, I wonder cool. if you could, if you dug back far enough, or like somebody would have some kind of similar thing, even before that. Yeah, you know where it it got miscategorized yeah. under something else. Huh. I don't know. That would be so cool. Yeah, it would. So but yeah, so that was Mothman. Right. No one knew who he was. I was like talking to talking to everyone about him, like Dom and Rachel and stuff, and they're like he's real like they just <laughs> thought it was just like the movie so. oh you're like hell yeah. no yeah <laughs> this goes deep men in black motherfucker yeah. <laughs> uh, all right yeah. well until next time until next time <laughs> who knows when that's gonna be <laughs> one year from now one year in february you'll get another one yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right well bye bye <laughs>